Okay, recording, go. G'day and welcome to the bar. My name's Nick. I'm joined by Georgia. Georgia, how are you? Good, thanks. Hello. I am back again for another episode. I haven't been kicked off the podcast yet. Not yet, not yet. We have a very exciting episode today. Today we'll speak to Tracy Booth, the UTS Director of Students. Yes, but before we start with that, let's talk about our favourites of the week. All right. Uh, Do you want to go first? No, no. I know you have something to show me in person. Well, I've got two follow-ups. First Mm -hmm. was my surprise. Oh, yes. Did you ever speak to my girlfriend about that? Yes, I did. Okay, so you know. Cheese making course. Ooh. Is that not what she said? That is not what she told me. (laughs) She gave you a lie. (laughs) She might have lied to me in case I told you. But I wouldn't tell you. But what did did she tell you? No, she just told me you were going to lunch or dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Were you around other people? Maybe maybe she didn't want to say it. No, it was just us two. For listeners of the podcast, we are also good friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why. (laughs) Anyway, so tell us what you're actually doing. Oh, yes. We went to to a cheese making course in um, at a place in Rosebury. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've been looking at doing one of these. What cheese did you make? Halloumi. Nice. Yeah. Um, Did it taste good or was it? No, it was good. Okay. So my heritage is Greek for the listeners. So I'm I'm quite familiar with halloumi, but my God, was it good? It was sick. Freshly made. It was beautiful. So how do you make it? It's actually really easy. I assume the other cheeses, and I, I'm pretty sure the other cheeses take months to go from like when you boil it and do all the treatment. Don't you like store it for a while and then eventually you eat it months mm, later? Yep. Alumi is just, you get the milk, you boil it, you add certain things like rennet, which is the substance that comes from cow's intestines. Anyway, you add what needs to be added to the milk, stir it, mix it, boil it, strain it, cheese in two hours. Mix it, bop it, lock yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah, but, um, but it was great, and it tasted it tasted really good. Yum. Do you think you could replicate it now? 100%. So okay. they have they have um, little to-go boxes, I guess, where you, like, it's like a kit where you can make your own cheese oh. with, you know, the instructions and with what you need, and all I, I need to do is buy the right milk, Yep. and then if I have enough time, I can just do it. Nice. So when am I coming over? Yeah, I'll, I'll be giving Halloumi, you know, to, to my friends quite soon. Um, we'll see if you get any, but... Um, <laughs> when I make the cut. <laughs> But the, the best thing I love doing with just soba hulumi is marinating it in olive oil, mm. uh, garlic, oregano, a bit of chili. Yum. So fresh hulumi plus the marination should be sick. We have a dinner party coming up not too soon. <gasps> do it then. I should do it before then. Yes. Wouldn't that be sick? Yes, yes. Yeah. Our very adult dinner party. That's right. We have, I, we have a lot of lead time as well, so mm-hmm. no excuses there. Yeah. I'll do it. Okay, looking forward to it. This, we will report back after this and I will give a review. It's pretty good. Mm. And then how do you say, how do you pronounce it? Halloumi? Halloumi? I don't know. I've always thought it was halloumi, but One I know you, your Greek heritage, you probably know how to say it right. Halloumi is how we say it. Halloumi. Halloumi. There we go. But, you know, for discourse, you just halloumi. Yep. You know, you make yep. it a bit more Aussie. <laughs> like my, my family calls me Nico. Nico. But everyone really? says, yeah, yeah. But everyone says Nico. So I just don't use it. <laughs> it's easier for the Aussie vernacular. Okay. Well, I will try my best to Beautiful. say it right. Beautiful. It was, well, it was really fun, though. I will say to anyone that's looking for like a cool 
maybe present like that was a great surprise or even just an activity with a friend or partner what's great it called time. i think omnom in rosebury but if you look up cheese making course rosebury it's beautiful rosebury is pretty far from ug but it's near the airport but good fun great time nice i have to check it out and the other update i have is my pants yes cowboy pants so, i will stand up for georgia our concrete cowboy concrete cowboy proper cowboy pants they're not really cowboy pants so, yeah, they're not as cowboy as they're I thought. They're not cowboy at all. If anything, they're more formal. So they're sort of like a dark gray. Oh, the color? Like a heather color. gray. A heather, is that what it's called? Like a school pant gray. Yeah. So they flare and a little bit at the legs. bottom. Stand a bit further away so I can see full length. And then, sorry, I like them. I really do like them. They're not cowboy at all. They're nah. a little bit flared, but you, you can wear them as suit pants. They're Matching belt to flared. shoes. That's right. They look good. Banging. Respect. Re- yeah, yeah. Way better than the jodhpurs. Respect. <laughs> <laughs> the skin tight. Um, Maddie hates them too. My girlfriend hates them. Yeah. Um, she just thinks the material is gross. Anyway, it's made out of some well, weird, like, elastic thing. We both have good taste. Yeah. And she... Lied to me. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> about your birthday. Okay, what, what's your favourite? Or favorite? she booked it really late and forgot about your birthday. No, because... <laughs> well, maybe. But Shutting that down. <laughs> it's impossible. Uh, no, she didn't book with a lot of lead time, I believe, because... I was with her the week before and a friend of hers, Nick Likich Cheese Making Course, and she opens up the Snapchat right next to my face, but I didn't see it. Oh, you didn't obviously. see it? Oh, I don't look at her phone. Very lucky. <laughs> um, yeah, and then she grabbed it and went, did you see that? <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. <laughs> Why? What, what's up? And she's like, yeah, you know, she almost revealed it. Would have been bad, but it was really fun. Well, very exciting. Okay, my favourite of the week. Here we go. So we had a belated Easter party on the weekend Mm. with some of my friends, Mm -hmm. and I love a dress-up party. Mm. All my parties are dress-up themed in some way or another. I just think it's a lot of fun. Uh, We have a big dress-up wardrobe at home that we accumulate stuff, (laughs) often half full of things people leave at my house after her party, and I've still got things from, like, when I was a toddler yeah and, like fairy dresses and things like that just always loved it in case you need it you never know when you can you need it maybe you need like it. a puppet yeah i don't think i'm gonna fit into something i wore when i was five years uh, old <laughs> but anyway this party was easter themed mm. and so i was like you know what am i gonna wear what am i gonna wear yada yada and me and my boyfriend decided to go as easter show bags so we'll, wow. we'll think outside the box because there was lots of bunnies there was someone going as hot cross buns you know we thought we'd do something crazy. Yeah. So I'll show you a photo, but it's us wearing two <laughs> bin bags. They're, they're trash bags for the listeners. But they're orange. Yeah, yeah. Trash bags. And they say Sydney Royal Easter Show. And then I was Alan, so I have like a packet of lollies attached to me and he was Powerade. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right, because you get, you know, different... The Easter Show bags. Yeah, you know what yeah. I'm Sorry, about? Alan just made me think of the law firm and I thought it was like a really gross no, law reference no. for a second. I was like... Ugh! Oh my gosh. No, All no. of my friends that aren't lawyers... So, there was no other... Fr- oh, there was one. But yeah. most of them aren't lawyers, but my friends. And they were like, ew, are you making an awful Alan's Law reference? Uh, they said the same. They said the same yeah. thing. And I was like, no, I the hadn't even company. thought about that. It's yeah. just my favourite type of lollies. Yeah, nice. Anyway, um, and so we got to the party dressed in trash bags and no one else was dressed up. What? All of my friends were pathetic and bailed. There were a few with like bunny ears. They but just... How does that happen? Was it was it made clear that there was a theme? Yeah, but it was sort of like from a while ago. But I chatted to a few people that day, and they were wearing X Y Z. So I don't know whether it was a big elaborate prank on me because I like costumes so much, or everyone else just bailed. No, good on you. Bad sports, I say. Bad sports. So that's my like least favorite thing of the week. Yeah. But also favorite thing. <laughs> but also it's funny. Yeah. It's a good story. But also you're at a party in a trash bag. <laughs> 
I, I mean, it's really good for spillages. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember in uh, first year law cruise, I rocked up a bit late and I got um, on the boat and then two friends of ours, Ryan Holland and um, Nick Kelly Flett, were dressed in just a white shirt and had some graphic on it. And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. Just chatting to them, whatever. Talking to them for like 10, 20 minutes. Someone goes, someone walks over and goes, has he not noticed yet? They're like, look at our shirts. On their shirts was like me this this video of me that i did years ago that's like me floating through space yeah. on a green screen yeah, yeah, yeah. and the theme was out of this world and i was on their shirts mm. yeah so uh you know commit to a dress up commit it's a to good a dress story. up also nick just bragging about when people dressed up as him to a party yeah well you know when you're famous uh <laughs> all, you, all you want is people to google you and to dress up as you. Oh, yeah. It's so a little little insight into what, <laughs> what we'll hear later. Uh, but great segue. So speaking of later, let's get into our interview with Tracy Boo. So today we are interviewing Tracy, who is the director of students at UTS. So her work involves talking to students and helping them with any issues that they have with their academics and planning out their subjects, etc., etc. She's also done a lot of research into victim impact statements and self-represented litigants and how they have an impact on the court process as a whole and everyone involved in that. She's done a lot in criminal and civil procedure and she has also worked on the New South Wales Sentencing Council. So Tracy, welcome to the bar. How are you? Good, good. No worries. We've been very excited to hear about you. Our president of the Law Society recommended you, so we have been anticipating this very much. Tracy does a lot of stuff around campus that we think are really important to the students, so we thought that'd be a valuable discussion today, especially some of the stuff she's done previous to her time at UTS as well as been, and during is really interesting outside of her role. We'll start with the first question we ask all our guests. Tracy, if you could take anyone to the bar, who would it be? So I worried about this question when I knew that it was coming up and I gave it a lot of thought and I would like to take both of my grandmothers. Mm. So they're dead now and one I didn't really know and one I was a teenager when she went, but I'd love to know their stories. They were very strong women, really strong women and um, experienced Australia very differently and I would love to know their stories. And in fact, if I'm not really limited to one or two people, I'd like to ask all of my grandmothers. Wow. I would, I've just got this fascination with the, the, that long lineage of women that we come from. Mm. We love to hear about strong women. Yeah, but who they are and, and what their story was and all over the world, you mm. know, wherever it was that they, they came from. So yeah, I could see that as being quite a riotous night. Be fun. Wow, that's a, that's a good, well, a good really group good of people to pick. Yeah. Do you have any particular questions or areas of interest you'd like to hear about? I think I'd just like to talk about the stories of, of their lives. I mean, mm. I think we should compare our fingers and toes and see if there's any similarities <laughs> uh, to see what the genetic stuff is. Was your arthritis bad? You uh, know, those sorts of questions. But I'm just really curious what it has been like to have those experiences because both of my grandmothers had hard lives mm-hmm. and yet they seemed to thrive and, and managed and, and, and they were. So I'd be very curious. I'm just curious to know where I come from. Yeah. When you said they both had different experiences of Australia, can you give us a bit of insight into that? Well, they both both lived in Queensland. Mm-hmm. So one um, married a, a farmer and up in North Queensland and the farm failed. This was before the Depression or might have been just coming up to the Depression. And so they both ended up working on the railway. They built the railway. Mm. He was one of the workers on the railway. She used to cook all of the breakfasts for the for the men. Like she, she was the cook. 
and then in later years they came back to farming to a dairy farm yeah. and she basically helped him run that uh, they got a family driving license in those days you got a driving license for your family wow mm. so pop drove into town and the police officer said oh les did you drive into town and he said yes and he said okay well that's enough i'll give you a license and yet it was my grandmother who did all the the driving oh wow <laughs> she just she just strikes me as very interesting mm. and then my and i didn't really know of her and then my other grandmother lived in brisbane and through various circumstances she found herself a single mother and ran a boarding house and mm. i don't know whether you know much about boarding houses but in those days men used to come to the city from the country mm. and they used to rent rooms from from these people who who made them breakfast lunch and dinner my god mm. wash their sheets you know basically we're a substitute mother yeah i was gonna say my parents met oh. um, wow so yeah yeah my father came down from the dairy farm to brisbane to work and and of course you know in those days men didn't live by themselves they didn't know how uh, <laughs> still don't not, <laughs> not me <laughs> They sound like very interesting people to get to know. I think so. I think yeah. so. And I've recently got into needlework, embroidery. Mm. I love embroidery. It is so relaxing when mm. you get very stressed. It's very relaxing. And mum told me that my grandmother loved embroidery. It was something she used to do as well. So, you know, there's lots of things to talk about. Mm. Yeah, I think family history is really interesting and important to learn about your roots and where you come from. Yeah. It seems like two generations ago, life was like a lot more difficult, a lot more interesting now me and georgia just go to uni we just do normal stuff like i think you're going to have your battle ahead of you well you have them now it's going to get more intense and they'll be different definitely will and hopefully we'll get to pass on our lives and our stories to our grandchildren Mm. if that happens (laughs) hopefully (laughs) well we'll see okay yeah wow very interesting very interesting but Um, beyond that uh tracy in a role here is the director of students at uts mm -hmm. could you tell us a little bit about what that role entails here well, I'm still learning. I mm-hmm. took on this role at the beginning of February mm-hmm. this year and I'm responsible for academic matters that relate to all of our coursework students in undergraduate and postgraduate matters. And it really it really ranges. But I think I think the idea is that I advise students on progression, help students with study plans, help students when they're struggling. When I first came into the job there were a lot of students that had just been placed under academic caution. And so I had to meet with all of all of the students under mm-hmm. academic caution, talk about why that's happened, why they have failed subjects, how can we pull the university services in to help and support and um, often be a bit of a sounding board. So I find that's actually where a lot of the job is. Things happen in your life. Things happen, things go wrong. Mm-hmm. And you need help to sort of just find your way through your studies because your studies are important. But so is, is your mental health, so mm-hmm. is your family depending on what your circumstances are. So that's sort of where I find myself now. I couldn't agree more. Students have a lot of other things going on in their life that can have a huge impact on your studies. Yeah. I think that really came to light as well with those changes made last year to the degrees, right? I think with a law degree, the government were discussing if there was a certain fail rate that um, you would lose hex. Am I I thinking of the right thing? Is that right? Well, maybe they did. I mean, at at the moment, you can be excluded from the program, but you can reapply. Maybe they were talking about for students sort of fail a subject several times. Mm. Hmm. And that does happen. And they're the sorts of students who I meet. Mm-hmm. and talk to I mean sometimes law isn't isn't the right course mm-hmm. it's not the right course for everybody mm-hmm. other times just you know awful things have been happening that haven't been addressed mm-hmm. and I think it's much harder for students these days 
because it's expensive. Mm. You need so much to be able to do your studies, you need to work, and there are a lot of family pressures. That's yep. hard. Mm. So if students are having trouble in their university studies, would you be the person that they come to or what's yes. the... F- yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Abs- absolutely. There's a, a, an academic issue. And if, if the issue is sort of tangential in the sense that it might be a personal issue that is impacting on, on their studies, I mean, obviously I can't give advice with respect to personal issues, but I can refer to services. And mm-hmm. the university has got a lot of services. It's got a lot of support for students. One of the things that does puzzle me is... Several students tell me that they, they're not familiar with the student, the services that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that a matter of concern. So at the moment, I'm working on changing our website and just making sure the information is much clearer and more accessible to students. Is there any advice that you could offer to students that are struggling with their academics? When you start struggling, don't keep it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't keep it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Tell your subject coordinator and come and see me because if you leave it to yourself, there's nothing we can do. Once the, the semester's finished, it's finished. It's very important that we just deal with it as and when it yep. occurs. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, so what would be the best way for students to contact you? Oh, by email. Okay, and your email is? tracyey.booth at uts.edu.au. Okay, Beautiful. brilliant. We'll Beautiful. include that in the... In the description show on the show. Yeah. Yeah. And you can Google me, Google mm-hmm. Tracy <laughs> and it will all come up. Isn't that cool? Yeah. The future. Maybe one day we'll be Googleable. Well, don't you Google everything I do? Yeah. yeah. But... I Google UTS pages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To be Googleable, though, is quite cool. I uh, think, yeah. Well, all that comes up is my Facebook, which is not very exciting. Here's an insight into your priorities. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I understand that in the Faculty of Law, you've been spearheading some development of research processes in the undergraduate and postgraduate degree, is that right? Oh, well, I mean, I've, I've worn many hats while I've been at UTS and um, I have taken an active role in research training. So I teach the research, high degree research students, I teach the PhD students and have done since we commenced our new program. So I think this subject that I teach, it's, it's a compulsory research subject. I think it started 2013 mm-hmm. and I've taught it since then. So I'm actively involved in developing um, researcher skills. And I was also um, director of high degree research students at one stage as well. So this is focused to students who are looking to do their doctorate in law, less yeah. so than undergraduates? Well, yes, although when I started at UTS, in fact, I uh, was put into the first year program and I developed legal method and research, you wouldn't have done that subject, Mm, but it was a precursor to foundations of law. Oh, wow. So we actually redesigned the first year program. So from 2008, we taught this subject called legal method and research. And so, yeah, so I, I was, that was my thing as well, undergraduate research. You can probably help me out. I'm doing research methodology at the moment. Oh, for your honours project. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great. How's it going? It's going good. Learning a lot. I think it's interesting that you that's not until like fifth year that you learn a lot of the research skills or theories that I've been learning about now. It's more it's more than just being able to look up a database or yeah. set up an alert. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's really much more than that when it mm. comes to research. Oh, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah. It forced me to think a lot more about like internal biases and why we write about what we do and how we write. So wow. That sounds great. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you find it would help you as well if you were to go into practice in that side as well, or it's more the academic side of research? Probably more the academic side, but I still think it's really valuable 
to learn about? I think it's always important that we know that whenever we do anything, we're informed by our own knowledge mm. and values. Mm. And a lot of assumptions yeah. operate. So you've made a, you would have assumptions about me, I would have assumptions about you. And I think one of the important things is, um, Georgia sort of talked there about being reflexive and questioning yourself mm. why you respond this way, why you ask that question, why you have interpreted something that way. And I think that helps you wherever you are. I think we saw that last week or two weeks ago, Georgia, in our intellectual property class. In class, the topic for the week was, can patents be gendered? And I think when you first hear that question, at least when we did, we were like, what do you mean? It's a piece of paper. But there's certain tests which go into it. And like one of the tests is person skilled in the art. Okay, who's skilled in the art? Well, it used to be men, you know, like biases come into it. And we found that, you know, you really can't escape a lot of these biases. And the best way to do it is just be aware of them and take take everything with a grain of salt and just think about that as you go on in your degree. I agree. And yeah. always ask yourself why. Why would that question be asked? And mm. what does that question mean? So you think, well, it's a piece of paper. It can't mean the piece of paper. So no, it's not about the piece of paper. It's about something else. And always just why and just um, that awful word unpack. Yeah. <laughs> Plenty of layers to find out and unpack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully Georgia can be a lot more help to us. We have a, a group chat called Send Help, oh. <laughs> and it's it's legal research questions. So a lot of a lot of um, our group is working in law, and they're like, you know, I've got to find this case. How do I find a case where someone talks to this or like an assignment? Just whatever question you have, we send it, and hopefully, wisdom of the crowd, we can find out. Okay, research skills. Yes, mm. and now Georgia will be our go-to. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all learning and getting better together, hopefully. Yeah. One of the things I'm interested in doing is developing research modules that students can look at at any stage of their degree. Mm. So we, w- we would have something like that. Yeah. All right, you want to find an IPK about patents where gender might have been an issue. Mm. How do you do that? And then just have a module that you can go to quickly look at and then go off to, is it West Point? Oh, Westlaw? Westlaw yeah. or LexisNexis? Yeah. LexisNexis here. Mm. You're a Lexis person? Mm. Yeah. Just easy. <laughs> I used to be a Westlaw and have just switched to Lexis. I now prefer that one. I do like the search form yeah. on Lexis. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. I've actually been looking recently at the UTS Law Research Guides. On the on the library website, they're actually really really good. Mm-hmm. So if anyone's out there struggling with looking up research and trying to find cases, they're quite informative. I, I think that speaks to something Tracy said as well, being that I think we know a lot of things at UTS are there, but whether or not you rely on them is another thing. Like mm. I know that there's databases on the library about that stuff, but it takes an extra step to go on and do that, and I think we all just need to remember that. Same yeah. with UTS offers a lot of counselling and other programs that could help you during your degree. Mm. Just a matter of making sure that you're active in looking for those. I think so, and and be active. It's, it's much. It's easy, isn't it, to lay back on the bed and say, "Help me, everyone! I want to find this case." <laughs> Whereas, really, you, you could very easily go into the library, go into the law section, because there's a law librarian mm. who sets out all of this information. You can mm. even go to the library and ask. Mm. Mm. Wow! And I yep. know a lot of students don't do that. Yeah. The library very keen to answer questions mm. just ask mm. just go in and say i can't find this case surprisingly very excited to help you you just yeah. need to ask yeah. yeah and i think they get asked very often well that's what i used to do at uni because you know, there was no such thing as a group chat so mm. we were always in the library saying mm. to the librarian i don't know how to find something because none of us did in those days it was a small hard copy it was a nightmare 
Yeah. Did they use stalkers? Well, something that you could find if you did some legal research is some articles that Tracy has written. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful segue. I would ask you how you would do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'd need to look that up on the website. Just Google Tracy Booth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but you have won a few awards and written a lot of articles about various different subjects. Probably the first one that we want to talk about is one that you've won an award for, and it was called The Cooling Out Victims of Crime, Managing Victim Participation in the Sentencing Process in a Superior Sentencing Court. (laughs) Quite the mouthful, but content that is well worth learning about. Can you tell us a bit about your research? My research, the overarching question for my research is public confidence and legal processes. Mm -hmm. I'm really Mm -hmm. interested in public confidence and legal processes because it's essential to legitimacy. So for many years, I looked at that through victims of crime. Victims mm-hmm. of crime were my lens to think about how, whether or not they are confident in legal processes and what the issues were. So to do that research, I looked at victim impact statements mm-hmm. and I looked at victim impact statements in the sentencing of homicide offenders. So that's in the Supreme Court yep. in New South Wales. So that was my research project. And I wanted to know, well, I thought I wanted to know how family victims sort of experienced that and whether or not they were satisfied. But in fact, as that research unfolded, and this is what happens with research, it unfolds, mm-hmm. and I thought, actually, what I'm really interested in is the dynamics of this. Who's mm-hmm. involved in this process? What's happening? So there was this, there was a, a vast amount of literature, and it was all desk stuff where people would sit there and pontificate about victim impact statements, and mm-hmm. they would say, oh, they're terrible things because they distract the court from the process. They're going to end up over-criminalising particular defendants, and they're highly emotional, and, and in homicide cases, you know, one writer wrote, courts are going to become sites for ritualised mourning. And I, My God. I read all of this and wow. I thought, well, where's the research where people have gone into the court and had a look? Mm. And mm-hmm. nobody had. Mm. So I thought, well, I'll do that. Mm. So this was my PhD, in fact. So I, I did go into the courts and I did have a look. And what I found was that victims are tolerated in courts. And cooling out comes from Goffman. Goffman is a, he was a German philosopher and he was talking out about cooling out as a scam. So, so when you get duped in a scam and how the scammer tries to cool you out so you don't complain to other people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, so that we just keep something smoothly going. So I looked at that and I thought, but that's what's happening in the courtroom. There's all of these processes where judges, the prosecutor try to cool out the victim. Mm-hmm. try to minimise the victim's anger and distress in the courtroom. Wow. doesn't matter what mm-hmm. goes on outside the courtroom, but inside the courtroom it's really important that proceedings remain orderly mm-hmm. and with minimum mm-hmm. distraction because it's all about fairness of the hearing. Now that's not to say that I think victims were treated badly. So my article was about the findings of my study where prosecutors did a lot of work with victims before they came into the courtroom. Mm -hmm. So a lot of cooling out there where, because you're restricted on what you can put in your victim impact statement. So Mm -hmm. you couldn't call somebody a murdering bastard, for instance. So that's where the hard conversations would happen. You Mm -hmm. can't write that about your daughter's killer. You can't write that about the court. 
you have to just talk about the impact on you. And that's really awful because mm. people, people can't tell the story they want to tell. So they're told that outside the court. That's the first cooling out process. Mm-hmm. Then you come into the court and it was about victims being allow- allowed to read their victim impact statement aloud. And that was really controversial. People were saying, oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. We're just going to have emotions run amok. But that wasn't the case at all because, mm-hmm. again, it was the whole somberness of the process, the formality, the judge's response to the victim, and also the emotion rules that we all have, you know, that, that govern the way we conduct ourselves in public. The victims didn't behave like that. I only saw one matter out of the 18 matters I observed, I only saw one where there was what I would consider to be disrupt. The, the proceedings were disrupted, and that was by young men who were the brother of the deceased. So that's why I did that research. And then I was really pleased to win the award because my research is what we call qualitative research. Mm. So it's a it, you take a small sample and it's rich data. You you get it. I got mine through observation and interview trying to explore the experiences whereas a lot of journals when they think about things that are evidence-based, they think it's about numbers. Mm-hmm. It's all about quantitative research where you do mass surveys and come back and say 89% of people think X. Yep. So yep. I was really pleased that A, they published it and B, they thought it was good enough to win. I think a lot of research can, as you're saying, come down to stats that aren't necessarily reflective of the truth, potentially. Well, and or can be story. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas qualitative research looks at it in a different way and can provide a deeper understanding, I guess. I yeah. think as well with that, with your research that you were just talking about, that one example of the outburst, it makes you understand that these are real experiences. Each of these individuals mm-hmm. are their own victims who are being called out by the system. And it really makes you think about the impact and maybe the potential changes that might need to be made there. Well, those young men, they in fact hadn't seen the prosecutor Mm -hmm. to discuss their victim impact statements. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a really important part of the process they missed. So Mm -hmm. they came in with their own victim impact. They were handwritten. They were so angry and upset. And the Mm -hmm. court was powerless in the sense that it's not going to help. Mm -hmm. Sometimes victim impact statements can be useful for people's healing, but it's very individual. Do you think that they're a part of the process that should remain and is positive. Yes. Yep. I think I think if people people want to talk about their experiences and tell their story, I think they should be able to because mm-hmm. I think that um, justice is a public forum. Yep. And there's a lot of people involved, and I think fairness of a hearing. I think it's certainly certainly the defendant is entitled to a fair hearing, and I have no qualms about that. But I think fairness means it's fair from everybody's perspective, and victims are part of it. So to that extent, I think, yes, certainly we should have victim impact statements. Do you think that they have an impact on sentencing Uh, or it's more of a forum for expressing their view? Research suggests they don't have Mm -hmm. an impact on sentencing. I I would think perhaps in the odd individual case they might, but not in cases where people have died, where the victim, the primary victim has died. I would have thought more in cases where there's been an assault or something like that. And I certainly think victim impact statements have played an important role in child sexual abuse cases, played an important role in the court's education in just learning about long-term impacts Mm -hmm. of child sexual abuse. Because you can read cases from back in the 90s where judges were saying, well, this doesn't, you know, we don't need to know this. We know that harm is caused. Whereas clearly 
we had no idea about the extent of the harm caused. And I think mm -hmm. victim impact statements are important educators as well. Do you think that will be particularly prevalent with the increase in like historical abuse cases? Yes. Oh, I look, uh, look, I think so. But not everybody submits a victim impact statement mm -hmm. either. It's mm -hmm. very, very personal. I mm -hmm. think it will have a big impact yeah. in this case. Yeah. Does a jury normally get to hear these victim impact no, statements? Because no. a victim impact statement is submitted after conviction before okay. sentencing. So in the in the superior courts they have a sentencing hearing that's separate. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you'll have conviction, then you'll come back and then you have a sentencing hearing, whereas in a magistrate's court you don't. For people that don't know specifically about victim impact statements, what are the parameters around what you can and can't write? Well a victim impact statement, it's a statement, it can be in writing, it can be oral. Uh, in some jurisdictions, you can do it by film, you can mm -hmm. submit videos, mm. audios, and it details the impact of the crime on you. So it can be a physical impact, emotional impact, financial impact, and it's basically telling the court about the impact of the crime. That's mm. it, what we call the instrumental purpose. And so when, when a court is sentencing, to measure the seriousness of the crime, there's two elements to it. There's the culpability of the offender, so the, the mental element, this is, did you intend to do something? Were you reckless? Were you negligent? Mm -hmm. um, or was it strict liability? And then there's the harm that's caused. So it's two elements that make up the seriousness of the offence. Mm -hmm. So theoretically, it informs the, the, the court about the harm that's caused. But most of the time, the court says, well, this is what you would expect. The other aspect of the victim impact statement is it's expressive because victims don't usually get a chance to participate in mm -hmm. court proceedings. Mm -hmm. They don't get a say. This is that opportunity to speak. And then you did continue with working with victim impact statements a bit further on oh in Europe yes yeah. I had this great I, I went on study leave to the Netherlands and uh, there's a victimology research centre there and they had done another study in the Netherlands where they've mm -hmm. done observation work of mm. victim impact statements so we we wrote a paper together and where we looked at voice victim voice and there's a lot more scope for victims' voices in civil proceedings in Europe oh, wow. because they have a dialogue. So in the, in the Netherlands, somebody might stand up and give a victim impact statement, this is how the crime affected me, and then the judge might turn to the defendant and say, well, what have you got to say about that? Whereas wow. that does not happen here. Here somebody reads their victim impact statement and the court says, thank you, dead silence, person goes back and sits down. So is that an effective, is the dialogue in the Netherlands effective? Does it work there? Is it better? Well, I mean, I was fascinated by it. I found it so foreign. Mm, I mean, there was yeah. just, it was like a chat fest. Mm. With, with people, that really is a dialogue about the criminal offending, which is very different to hear. Mm. Is it better? I don't know. I think you'd, I felt a bit uncomfortable to think, yeah. but, well, I'm not sure about this. But obviously, if that's your system, and then you trust that aspect of the system. I thought that there was scope for problems for victims where somebody might continue to deny it, somebody might might just say, I don't care. There's always yeah. scope for something awful to be said that can mm -hmm. be very disturbing. I guess there's an avenue for remorse, maybe. Yeah, remor remorse is interesting. In my study, in the study I was telling you about, I did look at the rate of offender remorse. It was so low. I think there might have been two apologies. Remorse was not a feature. Now, that could be for a lot of reasons, because yeah. defendants are also disempowered. Mm. They're very peripheral. A lot aren't articulate. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't know what they've been advised. Mm. But mm. the scope for remorse in Dutch proceedings was much greater. Okay. In our courts, we don't even ask. Do you have anything to say to the victim? We don't. Do you think showing remorse, would that cause any issues 
if someone wanted maybe a retrial or if, if they still proclaim innocence? Well, often, often the dispute may not be about innocence. It might be about the appropriate charge, murder or manslaughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yes, I mean, there's always these aspects of incriminating yourself. Mm. You're never quite sure what the narrative of the defendant was, how it sits with remorse. Mm. So one of the cases that I observed, um, the fellow had been convicted of murder, but he denied it all the way along. He just mm. said, didn't do it, didn't do it, didn't do it. There was no body. It's hard to be remorseful. Just last question on that. I think if remorse was the minority of responses, what was the majority of responses from the defendant? Oh, nothing. Yeah. Most, mostly really impassive. Most most offenders, as they listened, just just sat. I can remember now. But I think only one or two even looked at the, the victim. Most of the time, they just didn't respond. Mm-hmm. But in our proceedings, there's not really that scope. Only one cried, obviously was very, very distressed yeah. that he yeah. had killed this person. He yeah. was very distressed. But that's one of eighteen. System. I love I love hearing about the way the other system other legal systems oh, work. Oh look, and civil civil legal proceedings are absolutely fascinating. So when you travel again, mm. go to the courts and just see mm. Have you done much research into giving giving victim impact statements but in a situation where the person might not want to see the abuser or the offender? No. So like sexual abuse cases and... No, I haven't, but I've done a lot of reading of other people's Mm. studies Mm. in those cases. And yeah, they're they're very big issues. And there was actually a situation in Australia where originally the offender could keep a copy of the victim impact statement, Mm. but then they found that that was subject to abuse of not being treated respectfully. And so now offenders can no longer have copies of victim impact statements. But yes, a lot of victims of sexual abuse surprisingly do give victim impact statements. But um, they can be protected by screening. Last thing on victim impact statements. <laughs> Even further, um, we have the more recent article you authored with um, Jane Wangman, Accommodating Justice Victim Impact Statements in, sensing, in the Sentencing Process. No, well, I haven't done any work with Jane on victim impact statements. Am I thinking <laughs> of the right, the right paper? No um, straight lines? Oh, that's our report. So that's the recent research. So my interest is in victims of crime and Mm. in legal processes. And so with two colleagues, Jane Wangman, her expertise is in victims of of family violence, and Miranda Cave, her expertise is in family law. Mm -hmm. We came together to do a research project looking at um, family law proceedings in Australia that involve people who were self-represented and allegations of family violence. So that sort of drew all mm. about That's cool. Interesting. Oh, it was a fantastic mm. study. It was huge. Mm. We did it over three Australian jurisdictions. I think we went to eight different courts. We did observation for one or two weeks at each court. Mm-hmm. We interviewed judges, lawyers, parties that appeared before the court. And what we were looking at is people's experience, mm-hmm. what was happening in these processes, because the, the rates of self-representation and family law proceedings are through the roof, mm-hmm. and also the rates of family violence, mm-hmm. the, the matters that involve family violence. In, in our study, something like 82% of matters oh. that involve self-represented litigants involve um, family violence. Well, why are there so many self-represented litigants in family law? Well, the basic reason is money. Yep. Natural. People just cannot afford it. Legal, mm-hmm. legal costs are just crippling. Litigation just goes on and on. Yes, mostly it's financial. Mm. And what were the findings of that? And we found the, the intersection to be really marked. It, it so, really is an issue in terms of the numbers of matters involving family violence where people are self-represented. So findings were, so where victims of family violence, they have difficulty drafting their documents. So if they're self-represented, nobody's drafting their documents. Mm. Nobody's putting the details 
of the violence before the court and I think in more than half of them, the people we interviewed, the violence continues after separation. It's really common that it continues and there's problems with safety, party safety and children's safety. So in the absence of, there just isn't sufficient legal advice out there to draft documents. You, there's a duty solicitor that will represent you on the day, mm-hmm. but not in the hearing, but just in minor matters. You might have access to community legal centres, but very few people. Mm-hmm. Most people do it by themselves. Mm. If you imagine you've got no legal training and you have to draft an affidavit. You yeah. just do it all yeah. wrong. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And, 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 and you at least have done evidence. You know there are rules of evidence and, mm. and you know what the purpose of an affidavit is. So we inspected a lot of court files and we looked at documents and it's very clear that the court does not get the full story because mm. they're just not getting adequate documents. So we've had a lot of inquiries in the past saying, well, courts don't deal with family violence. Well, you know, they need training, they need to learn about it. And I look at those documents and I think, well, they're not even getting the evidence. The evidence just isn't coming mm-hmm. to them mm-hmm. because people can't do it. So that was a really significant finding. We found that in court hearings, people were incredibly disadvantaged at being self-represented. Mm. I mean, you know, they yep. can't conduct the hearings. Mm. They don't know what's going on. It's just a disaster. And then if family violence is involved, it's exacerbated. These people are stressed that the, the impact of family violence, especially if it's continuing, you're frightened. Mm. You can't speak. You can't think. Uh, and then we saw violence in the courtroom. We saw one matter where the wife was represented by a lawyer so the wife her lawyer there was a gap and then there was the the husband and there had been domestic violence in the history of the relationship but the hour and a half that i sat in court he just kept abusing he would just shout shouted at the judge he carried on like a chalk and then he'd look at his wife like he was and he's he scared he terrified me mm. we had security sitting in the back and i kept waiting for the judge to say whoa you know yeah. stop this you, you you can't do this but it didn't happen wow. and the next day the the associate said well it's yeah. a way of finding out the personality of the person involved and i thought mm, i would have thought that was glaringly obvious in the first 10 minutes i think sometimes there's a lack of understanding perhaps of the impact of behaviours and so the judge saw that differently to me I just saw that as domestic violence continuing Mm. this man was incredibly abusive and frightening he also though had it struggling with a mental illness you could see that you Mm -hmm. could see that and that's often the case there's a lot of other matters going on as well there's a lot to legal research I think (laughs) we found out it can really take you down some really cool areas of the law that you often really don't think about in your undergraduate studies yeah. I guess so. Well, my interest in Jane and Miranda is we're very interested in how law works, yeah. mm. how it plays out. Mm-hmm. We're not really theory or theory. We're not really theoretical researchers. We're much more interested in what happens. Yeah. What happens yeah. out there? Well, that's important. Yeah, yeah. When you actually put the law into practice, what's Robert going on? Yeah. Not just what's written in black and white. Yeah. 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 I think that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Way more interesting. Um, very <laughs> so cool. thank you for all that deep information on your research that that was beautiful to hear the last thing that we want to touch on maybe is just some takeaway points for students in their studies here at UTS some of the things you've learned in your role how can students go about you know having a better time studying uh, their degrees in UTS law I think balance is really important and think very carefully about the study load you pick Mm -hmm. each session it's not a race you know five years is your minimum if you're doing a combined degree four years is the minimum for your llb just take your time 
Yeah. Um, I think sometimes people try to do too much. You know, I've heard of students that work full-time and study full-time. Mm. Well, where's the enjoyment mm. in that? How can you mm. possibly be enjoying anything? And, yeah. and I mean, it's probably because I'm old, but, I mean, I know that life is short. Mm. And you've got to try and enjoy it. Yep. So that is something I would always say to students. Try and enjoy it. Get something out of it. Yes, participate in There's lots of extracurricular activities. The Law Student Society is very active, and they seem a good bunch. Mm. Yeah, mm. a really great bunch actually. And you've got <laughs> things like the Dream Program. Mm. That's really cool. There's lots of clubs, mm. but you also have to commit to your studies. Yeah. So yeah. you've got to be very balanced. And then you've probably got friends. I think always just look for enjoyment each day. Keep everything balanced and be realistic about what you can achieve. Yeah, that mm. point about studying um, full time really speaks to me. I think something that I've reflected on a lot as well is just that I think. If you look around and you see the people who really were able to achieve a lot in their time at UTS, none of them finished un- in five years. I don't think it's really possible to get really good work experience, really give the appropriate attention to your studies, extracurricular activities, and also an enjoyable life with friends. And I think once you kind of get through the mental barrier of, hey, we can slow down this degree, and it's pro- it will be beneficial if you want to continue that stuff, that's great. It, it's a hard barrier, I think, sometimes to overcome that. I'm still going to be here after five years. That's a really important point. And that's, you've put that so well. And that's exactly what I think. I mean, when you think about progression, there are rules. Of course, there are rules. So if you've got a five-year degree, um, you've got another two and a half years. So you can, you've got seven and a half years. And I just think be realistic. We yeah. offer some subjects over summer. Mm. Um, you know, not that everybody... Well, actually, I think summer's a good time to study because it's so busy usually outside, although these days not so much. Mm. Um, but, you know, just spread it out yeah. and enjoy. Yeah, yeah, we've both done summer subjects and it was really worth it for yeah. the evening out your subjects a bit more and giving us some time to focus on study in the, during semester. Even even this year, I voluntarily slowed down my degree because I just thought I'm in my last year, I'm in my fifth year, and I thought four subjects for the next two semesters with what I'm doing at work and with what else I have going on, I thought, no. Three subjects I can do, mm. two subjects next year, perfect. I think Five that's and, really, I, mm. and I think that's really wise. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're right about that barrier. I, I do, you know, one student said to me last week, but no, I want to finish on time. Yeah. I said, well, who's time? Yeah. It's about you. It's about you and, and what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Well, great. I'm really good we got to that point. <laughs> <laughs> what a positive note to end on. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for joining us, Tracy. Oh, just a pleasure. I hope everyone enjoyed that. I've been Georgia. And I've been Nick. And we'll see you next time at the bar.